Praise the Lord. Love hearing you pray, Hope. It has always been a blessing. It continues to be so. Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And what a beautiful thing it is to see all of us growing in that from one degree of glory to the next. Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, put your hand up nice and high. Our ushers are coming right now and want to put a Bible in your lap. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please keep that as a free gift from us to you to encourage you to continue to study God's Word on your own at home. And on those blue Bibles that are being handed out, our text can be found on page 569. Page 569. Well, if you remember, uh, the theme for this year, this ministry year, which launched on September 9th, is to be strong and courageous, coming from Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Now, remember, that is not strong and courageous in our own abilities and in our smarts and in our skills that we can bring to the table, but to be strong and courageous in faith in the Lord. Everything hinges on that, and so every sermon series is going to be an outflow of what that looks like. We're going to be unpacking the strong and courageous life in the Lord. And so this series is strong and courageous in convictions. You have to start at the foundation. Why? You'll see it on the screen. Because if the foundations are destroyed, Psalm 11:3 says, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so the purpose of this three-week mini-series that we conclude today is to give foundational and convictional clarity to us as a church as we move forward. It is literally the first things first in the house of God that Jesus calls his church to stand on and to uphold if it is to have his blessing. First things First, And so we started out in week one to be, we saw the church has one mission. We need to be strong and courageous on mission. What is that? To make disciples of all nations. And then last week, we, need, we saw that we need to be strong and courageous in love. In love, the only enduring motivation for the mission is love. An increasing love for the Lord and a love for your neighbor as yourself. Otherwise, the mission derails. And we saw that clearly last week. And both of those now lead to this. If we're going to stay faithful on mission, it means we need to be strong and courageous intentionally. Nobody just drifts into strong and courageous faith in the Lord. We need to be strong and courageous intentionally. Let me ask you a question as we launch into this. Um, how many of us here would want to live in a house that wasn't constructed from an architectural blueprint? Just put your hand up really nice and high. Say, that's totally me. I'd do that. Anyone? You want to live in a house where, where the, the foreman's kind of like, well, I think we can put a pipe there. Sure. I think I've got a better idea for where to put this window. It should fit by the door. And the foundation, eh, I'm eyeballing it. Looks pretty good to me. Would you want to move in there? Everyone say no. no. Of course you wouldn't want to move in there. <laughs> Without a blueprint. Here, here, look at this blueprint on here. Why? What is a blueprint? It is the base. It is the guide that forms the foundation for everything to follow suit of that building. Imagine, just imagine, loved ones, if you, what would happen if you started constructing the building without finalizing the blueprint? What do you think would happen? Here, here, here's what would happen. There would be chaos. There would be chaos. You go to turn the tap on in your kitchen and your bathroom tap comes on. 
What's going on there? There would be chaos, different construction workers and companies coming in trying to fit the pieces together. That wasn't done, right? Well, this wasn't done. Yeah, but it looked good to me. That wasn't done, right? Okay, chaos. Here's another thing. Confusion, disorientation, disunity, because nobody could work together because everyone's not going off the same blueprint. There's disunity with no one having a clear idea of the next step. If I could sum up what happens if you try to construct a building without a blueprint, things just go really bad all the time. They go really bad. And here's the thing that hit me looking at this text last week. Even though we wouldn't be okay, as we've just testified to, We wouldn't be okay with living in a house that abandoned the blueprint. The problem is, quite often, loved ones, we're quite content to do it in the church. Because we think we've got a better idea for how things should go. The culture's changing from first century, and so we need to do things differently than the blueprint that Jesus has given us to hold to that ensures the stability of the structure. No matter what comes, it's not like Jesus said, well, I'm gonna give you this blueprint for the first century, but in the 21st century, you gotta come up with some better ideas, man, because the culture's gonna go nuts. Uh Uh-uh. He gave us one blueprint that will withstand whatever comes against it. But why are we so content to come into the church and be like, I don't need to follow Jesus' blueprint. We've got a better idea. We wouldn't do it in our home, but we'll do it in the church. And the problem is it's happening in churches today all over the place. As more and more believers and entire churches abandon the blueprint that Jesus, the head of the church, the architect of the church, has put together and that he's promised to build it upon and through by his power for his glory. And what's the result of this? Well, just like the chaos in physical homes, guess what happens in the church? Chaos, confusion, disunity. And results from this, spiritual immaturity, biblical illiteracy, division, doctrinal instability, false teaching, the body of Christ consuming and not contributing, serving of self rather than the body. And pretty soon, you know what happens when you abandon the blueprint? Very soon, very soon, you have a church that looks more like the world than it does like Christ and it leads ultimately to its destruction. Are you okay with that? Are we okay with that as a church? God help us. See, here's the big idea from this text we need to see. And this text, I'm just gonna full disclosure here, this is a heavy hitter of a text. This is a heavy hitter. Let's get our pens ready our journals open as we unpack this big idea. Jesus' blueprint for building his church is intentional discipleship. I'll say it again. It's absolutely crucial. Jesus' blueprint for building his church is intentional discipleship. Think about it, loved ones. If we have one mission to make disciples, then we need to be intentional about discipleship. Make sense? We got one mission. We need to be intentional in discipleship. All people, all in. And so here in our text, I'm so thankful for the love of Christ and his grace in giving us the clarity of what this blueprint looks like. We're going to see the blueprint, Christ's blueprint for discipleship in the church that we must follow with courageous faith in the Lord to see him build his church no matter what comes against it. And what you're going to see very quickly as we unpack these verses is this. It takes strong and courageous faith in Jesus to follow the blueprint of Jesus all the time. And it's only going to get harder. 
It takes strong and courageous faith in Jesus to follow the blueprint of Jesus in the building of his church. You ready to go? Come on. Oh, I love that. Yes. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word as we read this together. And let's read this nice and loud. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. This is the word of the Lord for us tonight. Verse 11. Let's go. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Hear the word of the Lord, all God's people said. Amen, Lord. Let's help us to get your word and to be gotten by your word. Let's go. Here we go. Intentional discipleship. First thing we see is this. It means intentional equipping in God's word. Intentional discipleship. The first thing we see, love seeing those pens go. Yes. Come on, Lord. Help us to get your word tonight. Intentional discipleship means intentional equipping in God's word. Why? Jesus builds his church through his word. I'm going to say it again. Jesus builds his church through his word. But will you receive his equipping? That's the question. Will you receive his equipping? Let's get our context. Here we are, first century, 60 AD. The Apostle Paul's writing the letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is modern-day Turkey. You'll see it there. And Paul's writing from Rome, okay? Circled on the left, the screen. He's writing from Rome. He's in a Roman prison. He's been jailed for preaching the gospel. And the church in Ephesus is in danger because the church is plagued with false teachers and was in imminent danger of division. And so Paul is writing to strongly encourage the church to unity and to be built up in Christ through the word, to receive the instruction of God's word and then practically live out your faith in Jesus's power by using the gifts that Christ has given each of them. If I could sum up the context, Paul is exhorting the church in Ephesus and us today to intentional discipleship. It's the blueprint. He's bringing them back to the blueprint. And so look at 11 and 12. Look how he starts. Let's go. And he gave, he being Jesus, he's just gone to show how Jesus is the head of the church. He's just unpacked the gospel. And he says, and then he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. See, Paul starts here by telling the church that Jesus gave them their spiritual leaders. Jesus gave them their spiritual leaders to instruct and to care for and to lead them faithfully through the word of God. And the people of the church were to follow them as they followed Christ. Let's say it. Faithful spiritual leaders are a gift from Jesus to his church. He gave. It's Jesus' idea. They are a gift. Now, what are the roles? Who are some of these leaders? Just keep going in the text, verse by verse. Let's go. First, we see the apostles. The 12 apostles 
and Paul. Apostle is a term that means sent ones. And these were men chosen specifically by Christ who had seen the resurrected Christ. And apostles had three functions. Number one, to receive, write, and to declare God's word. First function of apostles. There's a lot of confusion about this term today prophets, apostles, and quite often it gets abused. So let's get some clarity. We're going to sit on this for a few moments to make sure we unpack this properly, okay? Apostles had three functions. Number one, receive, write, and declare God's word. Number two, they were to lay the foundation or the blueprint for the church, okay? They were to lay the foundation or blueprint for the church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And number three, they were to confirm the word of God, the truth of God, the gospel through signs and wonders. They had what's called apostolic authority. Then we get the next leaders here. Do you see them on the list? Apostles and prophets. Prophets. The prophets were another group of spiritual leaders who laid the foundation of the church because they proclaimed divine revelation to the church. This is why if you just flip over one page to Ephesians 2, verse 20, you'll see it right here. He talks about the household of God, and he says, verse 20, built on the foundation, see that, of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone built on the foundation of the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, proclaiming divine revelation. Now, in the Old Testament, you would commonly know this as, you know, the prophets, thus saith the Lord. Scripture was still being written all throughout the Old Testament. Okay? And so they're bringing the word of God to God's people. Now, in the New Testament, these were specially commissioned men in the early church to speak God's word to the church before the New Testament was completed, like Paul, who ended up, by God's grace and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing two-thirds of the New Testament. All right? And these offices, here's what we need to be very clear on, loved ones. These offices are not present in the church today. They've served their function. They're not present in the church today. Why? Because we have the completed canon of Scripture. We have the authority of the Bible, all 66 books. The canon is closed. Everything that God wanted to reveal for his church, for his people, of how his church is to function and how to live in righteousness and godliness and in a right relationship with him, he has revealed and it's closed. So you be very careful when you hear someone say, I'm an apostle, or I'm a prophet. And you know, at times, Hope Ottawa is questioned, oh, you're not under apostolic authority, so I can't go to that church. Well, that, you're missing the entire point. We are under apostolic authority. They wrote the book through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Just because we don't have the title of apostle or prophet Ray doesn't mean we're not under the authority of God. The canon's closed. Be careful, loved ones. We have the Bible to tell us how the church should function. Then we move on to the evangelist. We've got the apostles, prophets, and now evangelists. And this office is in function today in the church. These are the frontline gospel workers that establish new ministries and churches. Epaphras is an example of this. In the church in Colossae, he was saved under Paul's ministry. He heard the gospel. Then he went back to Colossae and started proclaiming the gospel. And then a church sprung up. These are the evangelists. These are the church planters that are to go. The missionaries that are to go out into your workplaces and into your neighborhoods and those who God is raising up to go and plant churches, these are the evangelists called by the Spirit to do gospel work. And that's why, you know, you'll see on these distinctives right here, you see courageous evangelism and strategic church planting because the office is still in effect. Then you get the next set of leaders. Did you see the text? Go back to the text, verse 12. Shepherd 
teachers, shepherd teachers. Now you say, wait a sec, gotcha, it's shepherds and teachers. Actually, love the fact that you're reading your Bible, loved one, but in the Greek, the original Greek manuscript, it's actually one office. And you can actually look at the superscript at the bottom of the page in your Bible and you'll see it. It's the shepherd teachers. Now who are they? It's still in effect today. Office is still functioning. Paul is referring to pastors, elders, who teach doctrine to the church, who protect and oversee the flock as under-shepherds to Christ. Now, I want to get some clarity here because by God's grace, one of, the, one of God's blueprints for discipleship in the church is to entrust to faithful men who can teach others also. And so you see this in the pulpit and, and entrust to faithful women who can be raised up in proper context to preach God's word and teach God's word in a proper context that is not forbidden by scripture. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Not everyone who teaches up here is an elder, Okay. Not everyone who you will see teach up here is an elder, but every elder is called to teach. Okay, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. You'll see that's one of the qualifications for a faithful overseer, the ability to teach. So not everyone who teaches is an elder, but everyone who's called to be an elder is to teach. And I just want to stop for a second. And I just want to say this church, by the grace of God, has been gifted with elders that love you and care deeply for you. I speak on behalf of our elder board, the rest of the elder board in Oakville. On behalf of Kevin and myself, we love you, we care for you, and we have sworn to the Lord to give our life to this. Just say whatever it takes, Lord. He said we are in by the grace of God. Now, what is the purpose for these leaders that Jesus gave? To see the saints, right there, you see it in the text, That is every true Christian equipped for the work of ministry. The work of ministry, equipped for the work of ministry there, means to train or to prepare or make completely fit to do the work of ministry. What work? The work given by Christ to see his body, the church, built up in his way by his power and unified in him through both increasing knowing sound doctrine, and living out the truth of God through their service to one another in the church. And so, loved ones, here's what we need to get from verse 11 and 12. This is where faithful discipleship must start. It has to. The faithful, intentional, unapologetic proclamation of God's word. In season and out of season. Verse by verse, line by line, And what we call expository preaching. Expository, that's the clue. It means exposing the text to to declare what God has said. It's not me implementing my meaning of what I want this to mean. It's what God has said. That's why we work hard to pray and work hard to study every single week, 20, 30 hours a week to get it right. There's so much at stake. This is why one of our distinctives, there it is, bold preaching. It's a conviction. It needs to be. That's how the body's equipped. Let's be clear on something. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. The word of God by the spirit of God equips the people of God for the work of God. That's a good summary statement of verse 11 and 12. The word of God by the spirit of God equips the people of God for the work of God. This is the purpose for which you, Hope Ottawa, beloved brothers and sisters, are being equipped. Every time we open the word right here on a Saturday, in preaching, or in a class, a doctrine class, teaching. Have you signed up for the doctrine class yet? Let's go. This is why... This is the purpose for Hope Youth. This is the purpose for Hope Kids. This is the purpose for men's and women's ministries. This is the purpose for prayer nights. That's why one of our distinctives is fervent prayer because it's equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And the goal, loved ones, the goal is not just to know more, but so that you and I will live it out more in his power. It's not just to get puffed up and win some theological argument with your neighbor. It's to live it out more and to be transformed. Say it this way. You'll see it on the screen. The goal of intentional discipleship is not just information, but transformation. 
It has to be. The goal of intentional discipleship is not just to get puffed up on knowledge. It's transformation, not just to be a hearer of the word, but what are you doing with what you are getting to equip the saints for the work of ministry? Jesus builds his church. Jesus builds his church through his word. But loved one, here's where the rubber meets the road. Will you receive his equipping? Are you going to receive what he's declaring? And you say, how do we do that? Here's what it comes down to. Teachability. Teachability of the word. Maybe some of you, even now, with some of the information we've already walked through in this text, you're like, forget it. Nope. It's not, that's not what I think. See you later. Well, are you receiving the equipping, or are you just sitting there in pride? Teachability, as you humble yourself under your God-given leaders and under his word, as they faithfully declare it and walk in obedience to him when it's easy and when it's a hard word, who can hear it? When, it's, when that conviction hits and you want to do everything to let it go away, just get out, just get out. I want to be defensive, whatever. You don't know my situation, you don't know... How about this? When the word calls you out of your comfort zone. When it's unpopular. You know, there are some, as we move on and closer. Did you know we're now closest in human history to the return of Jesus Christ? Did you know that? We are now the closest we've ever been in history to the return of Christ. And Christ promises that as we get closer to his return, there will be more and more false teaching and less and less people willing to receive his equipping. And so here's what we need to understand from this. When you faithfully preach God's word, it will not appease itching ears. It won't. It won't. If you and I walk out of a service saying, I'm so good. I'm so good. That's a fail. Why? Because there's only one hero of the story. Every service we should be leaving, Jesus is so great. And I am in desperate need of him. And he is my only hope. And in him there is life and there is godliness. That's faithful equipping through God's word. That's what it does. It doesn't stoke our ego. It brings us low and lifts Jesus up. That's how it is intended to function in our lives. And here, 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 here. you'll see this on the screen. Without receiving the word, loved one, that's dangerous. That's dangerous ground. That defensiveness goes on in our hearts. There is no equipping through the word. Without receiving the word in humility. This is the word of God. Help me not to just get it, but to be gotten by it. Without receiving the word, there's no equipping through the word. Because our pride, our arrogance, our defensiveness. Well, no way. It's way more comfortable for me to believe this than this. Let's just hear the word of the Lord. Will you receive his equipping? This is why James 1.21 says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, that is humility, teachability, the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Are we doing it? So question, loved one, where do you need to humble yourself under the word and just ditch the defensiveness when it calls you to engage in the life of the church How's that? In any other area, where do we just need to ditch our defensiveness to the word of God? Now, now, okay, time out for a sec. Ditching defensiveness doesn't mean ditching discernment. Ditching our defensiveness against the word doesn't mean ditching our discernment. Where we just believe everything we hear. I love, I love, I love Seeing you bring your Bibles. This is why I say, bring your Bibles. Look at the text so you'll see where it's coming from as it's preached in proper context. 
and not distorted. You want to be able to see where that's getting pulled out of. Like the Bereans of old. To see if these things are so. That's why in our outlining, when we train preachers and teachers, we try to use the exact same words that are in the text in the outline. So we don't stray from that. Equipping's in the text, equipping's in the outline. We stick to the text, we cling to it, because it's, it's our only hope. Where else are we going to go? As the disciples said to Jesus. Where do you need to humble yourself right now? Intentional discipleship means intentional equipping in God's word. And as the saints are equipped, Christ builds his church through intentional discipleship. As we begin to, final point today, ready? As we begin to live out God's word. Intentional discipleship means intentional living out God's word. This is where strong and courageous faith has to happen. The goal of intentional discipleship, the goal of equipping, the goal of living out God's word, not just being a hearer of the word, but a doer. What's the goal? Christ-likeness. That's the prize. Christ-likeness. The whole blueprint. Did you notice this? The whole blueprint of Christ's church is meant to display him. He's the goal. He's why we serve He's why we humble ourselves under the word as he is the word. He's why we obey because everything points to him. He's the portrait. But is he your priority? Is he your priority? Let's go. 15 to 16, Paul tells the Ephesian church the beautiful result that happens in the church as they are faithfully equipped in the word of God, as they receive it in humility and teachability, and they live it out in his power. What's the beautiful result? Christ-likeness. And we see four ways. Ready? Get your pens. Here we go. As we close this down, let's go. First thing we see, Christ-likeness means Christ-like maturity. Christ-like maturity. Go back to the text. Verse 13. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We keep preaching God's word faithfully until we get to heaven. Why? Because we will never achieve perfect Christ-likeness on this side of eternity. But it is through the word of God, living and active, renewing our minds, empowering us through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are changed from one degree of glory to the next. This unity of the faith, watch this. It means that word unity in the text, go back to the text, see it in 13. It means a God-produced oneness. Isn't that beautiful? A God-produced oneness, an agreement between believers. Specifically, what, what are we agreeing on? of who Christ is and what he's done through the gospel. It's saying, this Jesus is the son of God. This Jesus is eternal and uncreated. This Jesus came to earth as fully God and fully man. This Jesus lived a perfect life for 33 years and didn't sin once. Jesus went to the cross to take on the wrath of God and pay the penalty for our sin that we deserve. Jesus, in my place, and I could never pay. This Jesus died and was buried for three days and rose again, defeating the power of sin and death. This Jesus now rules and reigns with all authority given to him by the Father, and he is the only way, truth, and life. This Jesus, no one comes to the Father but through him. This Jesus alone offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's the unity of the faith. That is the beautiful, pure, undefiled gospel. That's what the whole Bible points towards. That's why we teach it. It is essential. Unity comes through the teaching, reception, and living out of sound doctrine of the gospel. And all of the rest of Scripture, as Romans 15 says, that was written for our instruction. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 will take you there as well. That the man, the woman of God, may be competent, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And is sufficient and profitable for that. That's why we preach the whole counsel of God. And as we are equipped and unified and live it out by his power in service to one another, guess what happens? See the text? We mature. 
Individually and together, as Christ's image, the blueprint, everything it points to, is increasingly perfected in us because the power of sin is increasingly defeated in us. You know what causes disunity in the church? Sin. You know how unity grows? Christ-likeness grows. Simple math. Equipped and unified and live it out in his power. Mature manhood there means complete Christ-likeness, doctrinally and practically. That's why verse 13 says full stature and measure him. He's our standard. See, as we are equipped through God's word and we receive it and we live it out, we grow in gospel maturity, which means this. Um, we see, increasingly see Christ's righteousness in our lives and in this church. Christ's humility, his love, his dependency on the spirit, his purity, his mercy, his kindness, his compassion, his faith, his truth, his boldness, his wisdom, his grace, his forgiveness, and his service as we choose the Jesus way. And from the overflow of this, you'll see it in the text, verse 14, let's go. Christ-likeness means Christ-like maturity, and then it means Christ-like stability. As we mature, we grow in stability. Watch this. So that, verse 14, we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. See, as we are equipped through the sound teaching of God's word, as we are unified in the faith and we grow in maturity, you know what happens, loved ones? We grow up. We grow up. We grow up. It means, notice the text, we are no longer children. We're no longer children. The word children there just means infants. Infants in the faith. We're no longer infants, immature in the faith, who are, read the text, easily deceived by what someone says if it sounds convincing enough. You ever notice that? They don't, see, children... Little children, we love children in this church. Praise the Lord. Our Hope Kids team just did a huge training downstairs today. They're getting fired up for mission, making disciples the next generation. <laughs> Come on. But here's the thing about children. Um, they're gullible. They're gullible. They are. You know, so many times my wife. What are you laughing? Honestly, I haven't even said it. I don't know where you're going. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? Like, we'll be sitting at the table, having a conversation, doing family devos, whatever. And I'll say something. I'll be like, oh, yeah, and this totally happened. And the boys, they'll all look at mom. <laughs> you know that look? Is he, ki- is he kidding? Like, they would believe me. I was like, hey, this really happened. They'd be like, oh, oh, oh. But they just, and then I was like, kidding. And then they'll look at mom and be like, did that really happen? And she'll be like, you know, and, but they're gullible. I love my kids. And that's a responsibility and entrustment to teach them the truth. But it's true. You say it convincing enough, they'll believe it. False teachers aren't stupid. They'll say it convincing enough, but children, infants, don't have the discernment the maturity to know otherwise. They don't know right from wrong or they definitely don't know right from almost right. Likewise, if we're not growing in maturity, notice the text, the illustration Paul uses, sobering. In maturity through the teaching and equipping and living out of sound doctrine, notice what he says, we're tossed. Look at that picture that he uses right there. We're tossed like a ship on the waves, to and fro, carried off by anything that sounds convincing. Oh, this sounds good. And oh, that sounds convincing. Oh, that tickled my ears. And oh, this. And oh, this. That's why maturity is so important. Maybe that teaching's popular, but it's ultimately false. And as we grow in knowledge and living out the word in our lives, We're increasingly able to stand firm on it and not be led astray as we're able to, as 1 John 4 says, test the spirits. Jesus tested everything. Pharisees would say, oh yeah, we're committed. Jesus is like, are you sure? Someone would come with a misunderstanding of the gospel. Jesus is like, actually, it's this. Stability. 
Stability. The devil would say, if you do this, look at Jesus when he was tempted in the desert. What did he use? Scripture to fend off the devil. Stability in the word of God. This is the stability Jesus lives and calls us to now. And this is why he says in John 7, 24, we are to judge with righteous judgment what we hear. Not some condemning judgment, but with righteous judgment what we hear. Is that right? Mm-mm-mm. But it says Christian on the podcast. Really? You going to go by that? You going to listen and filter through the word of God. Hope, Hope Ottawa, this is why we put so much prayer, time, effort, and testing into teaching sound doctrine in every area and to those who teach it, whether it's in kids, youth, here, wherever, because we are sunk without it. We're that ship. Our families... Individually, false teaching creeps in and it shipwrecks our faith. And so pray for us. Pray for your own heart. Pray for us as a church because the promise is false teaching will only increase as it gets closer to the return of Christ. And we're gonna need to be mature and grow up in knowing what we believe and why. Because that, that's, what, that's what leads to next. Living out God's word leads to Christ-like maturity, Christ-like stability, and now Christ-like witness. Notice, notice verse 15. Go back to the text. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, there it is again, in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Christ Christ-likeness, there it is. The image of Christ, the witness. He says, speak the truth in love. Now, maybe some of you hear that verse and you're like, you you get a little jittery. The truth there means just we're speaking the truth of God's word to those who would distort it in what they say and how they live their lives in and out of the church. And yet, notice how we are to do this with the love of Christ. The word for love there, remember how last week was agapao? This one's agape, which many of us are more familiar with. It means speaking what and how God prefers into the life of another. Now, we have this saying, going back to our home for a second, we have this saying in our home that um, doing the right thing the wrong way is doing the wrong thing. My boys could recite that to you. Doing the right thing the wrong way. Here's what this means, going back to this text. In Jesus' eyes, how we do something is just as important as what we do. How we do something is just as important as what we do. What does that mean? We're not called to bludgeon someone with the truth. You're like, but I'm speaking truth. Yeah, we're called to speak truth, but you're actually doing it the wrong way. You're beating them with it. We are not called to bludgeon someone with the truth of God when we see them walking in sin or in need of correction. Truth without love Remember this, truth without love is brutality. That's all it is. You're just beating them down. Truth, we're truth, truth, truth is brutality. Okay, cling to the truth, yes. But um, when we speak in the name of love without speaking the truth, do you know what that is? That's hypocrisy. When you speak, well, I just want to love them well so I won't say anything. Uh, that's not love. Why? Here it is, because you don't truly love someone if you're not willing to speak the truth to them. The truth that can save their soul and keep them from shipwrecking their faith. You don't truly love someone if you won't speak the truth in love to them. It's hypocrisy. You can't say you love them. See, we're not called to forsake the truth, church. And this isn't just for pastors and elders. This is the body, on body, speaking the truth and love to each other. Not letting man become bigger than God and you having a fear of man in your life. You see sin going on unchecked. You hear false doctrine being talked about. You pull that brother or sister aside. You love in the name of love and say, hey, I want to speak. This is what God's word says. This is what I heard or this is what I saw. And then the reception of the correction has to come from the other side of things. Humility. See, we aren't called to forsake the truth, but we will say it with Christ-like witness with the love that Jesus has for that person. That's the motive. 
And in the church, as we do this in the Spirit's power and the person receives the encouragement, the instruction, the correction, notice the text, go back. What's the result? We grow up into every way into him who is the head. Defensiveness never helps you grow up. Thoughts, motives, actions, words, more like Christ. Into the head, who is Christ, the head of the church. And notice, notice, notice this. It doesn't say, as I said, only pastors and leaders do this. Verse 15 clearly says we, right? We have a mission to go to our brothers and sisters. And here, I want to challenge you. If you've been in the faith, like if you've been a believer for a long time, or maybe just even chronologically, your age, you're older than others in this church, um, be very careful about being unwilling to humble yourself under a younger brother or sister's correction. That's a very dangerous place for you to be. Some of the biggest corrections I've got in my life that have led to greater Christ-likeness by the grace of God is through my nine-year-old and through some of these kids in Hope Kids. Do not think our age equates maturity that is beyond teachability. Maybe some of us need to repent of that. I can't humble myself under the leadership because they're younger than me. Mm. You're going to need to take that up with God. We're all connected together as each part is connected to Christ. Here it is, and lastly is this. Living out God's word leads to Christ-like service. Look at 15, 16 again. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, notice this, I love this verse, highlight it, whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is, e okay, each part is working properly. Each part. Every believer in that church working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself. Oh, there's that word again. Love, the motive for the mission. See, the word joined there in verse 16 means fit together. Each person, each believer in the church is a joint like the body, the picture of the body that works properly. It means every member of the church using their spiritual gifts in cooperation with other believers. What does Jesus promise? The body will build itself up in love. And here's what we need to see right this. Did you know this? Watch, look at, look at the authority of God's word and look up here for a second. It is a loving thing to use your gifts, your time, your talents, and treasures for the building up of the body of Christ. It is an act of love. You think, some of you might think, well, it's just an act of service to join a service team. No, nope, it's an act of love. Oh, it's just an act of, of you know, service to give a tithe or offering. Actually, no, it's an act of love for the Lord and for his church. We're connected together as each part's connected to Christ. John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says, As I've loved you, you love one another. This is how the world will know you're mine. Tony Merida said it this way, commentator Tony, you'll see it on the screen. The church will be enriched in worship and mission. Mission's at stake. Worship and mission when everyone, youth, kids, young, old, singles, married, new parents, older parents, when everyone is serving, when members give, serve in the various ministries, visit those in need, make meals for new parents, we got a lot of new parents. <laughs> Praise God indeed. And do life together. The body is edified, blessed, and built up. Here it is, here it is. Every member should grow up more and more like Christ. Every member should grow up and use a towel and not wear a bib. Just feed me, consume, I'm just going to consume, just going to consume, just going to consume. Mm -mm. Christ-like maturity serves as our master did perfectly and laid his life down. We grow up to use a towel, and we're no longer infants just wearing a bib.
Maturity is at stake. And that, isn't that beautiful? That Christ has specifically designed, just like a muscle can't mature unless it's used. A joint can't stay healthy if you don't use it. So if you're not using your gifts for the building up of the church, you don't mature as Christ intended. You can't because his blueprint is to serve. See it? Just so clear. And we're called to serve outside the church too? Absolutely. Our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, but not at the cost of serving in the church first to see it built up in love. The family of God is the priority. And you might say, I don't know what my gifts are. That's okay. Be humble and try something. There's also a spiritual inventory online on our website if you want to take a look. And Hope Ottawa, I just got to say, it's been one of my greatest joys over these last eight years since core group days to see more and more of you increasingly using your gifts for the glory of our King and seeing this body built up in love. No question. It's been beautiful, and I exhort you to continue. The goal of intentional discipleship is Christ-likeness, and when Christ is our priority, we will follow him in this. What part is Christ calling you to take right now? And if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, here's what I'm going to say. Um, <clears throat> you can't experience body life because you're not in the body. You're not connected, verse 15 and 16, you're not connected to the head. You're not connected to Christ in a personal relationship. You may attend the church, but you're not part of his body. And so your first step is to be unified with Christ, to repent of your sin and confess him as Lord. Will you do that today? This is where everything starts. There's no spiritual gift in you because it comes from the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, here's, here's the thing. Will you receive his equipping? Humbling yourself before the Lord, coming under his word and not rejecting it. No more excuses, defensiveness, whatever. And will you live out God's word? Regular God time, standing firm in Christ and testing the messages you hear in the world against God's word. Speaking the truth in love evangelistically to the lost, but also to your brothers and sisters in Christ, in service for Christ, engaging in the serving Plugging into the church. You call Hope Ottawa your home church? It's time to plug in, loved ones. Just hear the word of the Lord. Take a towel and let's go. Giving of your time, talent, and treasure. Loved ones, Jesus gave us the blueprint. So be intentional in discipleship. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, what a beautiful plan you have for your church because you are a beautiful God, we praise you and we thank you for your grace towards this church and your love for us that you would give us such a clear blueprint of the convictions we're to hold, of the path we're to follow, and of the service we are to engage. And so, Lord, right now, I pray as your word goes to our Holy Spirit, you would be pressing it in each of our hearts, saying, there's the next step for you. There's the next step. I pray for our friends who are here that have never received Jesus Christ and are not connected to you. I pray today they would taste and savor the Savior by turning from their sin and believing in the, Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.